It's lovely to see everybody here this morning. It's great to be together to worship God, and we continue our summer exploration as we work part of our way through the Gospel of Mark as apprentices of Jesus. Our call to worship this morning is one of the passages of Scripture, recommended by the books that I'm working from as one to think about. It comes from the Wisdom of Solomon, which, um, for those of us used to Protestant Bibles, is in the Apocrypha. Uh, So it's good for us to read something a little different and hear God speaking to us through it. So some words from Wisdom. God didn't make death. God takes no delight in the ruin of anything that lives. God created everything so that it might exist. The creative forces at work in the cosmos are life-giving. There is no destructive poison in them. The underworld doesn't rule on earth. Doing what is right means living forever. God created humans to live forever. He made them as a perfect representation of his own unique identity. Death entered the universe only through the devil's envy. And now let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we gather here to meet with you. Some of us are eager, even impatient, to sense you close at hand to reach out to touch you, or to hear your voice speak deep within us. Some of us are cautious, fearing rejection or ridicule, waiting for you to notice us, hoping that just maybe today will be the day that we feel something. All of us need to meet you, And so we come to this place at this time and we wait. Forgiving God, as we wait, we recognize our own struggles and failings. Sometimes we rush into situations without thinking, speaking or acting in haste and regretting the harm we cause. Sometimes we keep putting off what we know we should say or do because we're too busy or too tired, because there is something or someone who we think is more important. And sometimes we struggle to fit it all in. There are so many good and godly things we could be part of, and guilt at our own limits overwhelms us. So show us instead how to use our time wisely, to live in the here and now, to spot the opportunities you give us, to pause when we need to think, to act when we need to serve, to rest when we need to be refreshed. God in time, God beyond time, God of all times. 
Accept our prayer offered in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to turn with me to number 664 in the hymn book, and we're going to read Psalm 30 responsively. Now, we've done this divided on age. We've done this divided on when our birthdays are. I was thinking about dividing it on nationality, but I think that might be a bit too narrow. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure that we have enough non-born in Scotland people. I'm not sure. How many people were born in Scotland? Put your hands up. Actually, that's not bad. Okay. Those born outside of Scotland, read the normal print, because that means I'm allowed to speak in, that, in, in the first part. Those born in Scotland, read the stuff printed in bold type. And we listen for God speaking to us as we share in the reading of Psalm 30. I praise you, Lord... Because you have saved me and kept my enemies from gloating over me. I cry to you for help, O Lord my God, and you heal me. You get me from the grave. I was on my way to the depths below, but you restored my life. Sing praise to the Lord, all his Remember that what the Holy One has done, and give him thanks. Tears may flow in the night, but joy comes in the morning. So I will not be silent. I will sing to praise to you. Lord, you are my God. I will give you thanks forever. Thank you. I have to say, the Scots spoke up better than the rest of the world. The first reading is from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 to 33. The Lord's unfailing love and mercy still continue. Fresh as the morning, as sure as the sunrise, the Lord is all I have, and so I put my hope in him. The Lord is good to everyone who trusts in him, so it is best for us to wait in patience, to wait for him to save us. And it is best to learn this patience in our youth, When we suffer, we should sit alone in silent patience. We should bow in submission, for there may still be hope. Though beaten and insulted, we should accept it all. The Lord is merciful and will not reject us forever. He may bring us sorrow, but his love for us is sure and strong. He takes no pleasure in causing us grief or pain. The second reading is from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5 and verses 21 to 43. 
Jesus went back across to the other side of the lake. There at the lakeside, a large crowd gathered round him. Jairus, an official of the local synagogue, arrived, and when he saw Jesus, he threw himself down at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is very ill. Please come and place your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Then Jesus started off with him. So many people were going along with Jesus that they were crowding him from every side. There was a woman who had suffered terribly from severe bleeding for 12 years, even though she had been treated by many doctors. She had spent all her money, but instead of getting better, she got worse all the time. She had heard about Jesus, so she came in the crowd behind him, saying to herself, If I just touch his clothes, I will get well. She touched his cloak, and her bleeding stopped at once, and she had the feeling inside herself that she was healed of her trouble. At once Jesus knew that power had gone out from him, so he turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, You see how the people are crowding you. Why do you ask who touched you? But Jesus kept looking round to see who had done it. The woman realized what had happened to her. So she came, trembling with fear, knelt at his feet and told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, My daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your trouble. While Jesus was saying this, some of the messengers came from Jairus' house and told him, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? Jesus paid no attention to what they said, but told him, Don't be afraid, only believe. Then he did not let anyone else go on with him except Peter and James and his brother John. They arrived at Jairus' house, where Jesus saw the confusion and heard all the loud crying and wailing. He went in and said to them, Why all this confusion? Why are you crying? The child is not dead, she is only sleeping. So they laughed at him, so he put them all out, took the father's the child's father and mother and his three disciples and went into the room where the child was lying. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I tell you to get up. She got up at once and started walking around. She was 12 years old. When this happened, they were completely amazed But Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone. And he said, Give her something to eat. So if you're small or big, um, feel like you'd like to go and do some stuff on the stage, you can do. Um, That's great. Um, Looks like Graham's going to go with you, so that's fantastic. The rest of you are just going to have to listen to me. Today, we are just about halfway along our journey through the summer 
with Jesus and his apprentice disciples, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And we've had some pretty incredible experiences already, haven't we? We started on a hillside with Jesus calling out the names of those he had chosen to share the adventure. We have been entranced and mystified by tales that Jesus has told us about seeds and trees, which he says are a symbol of God's kingdom. We have been terrified as we crossed Galilee in a small boat during a storm and stayed pretty much scared as Jesus showed his power over the elements. Back on dry land, the adventure carries on apace. Mark doesn't waste words, but keeps racing forward into the next part of the story he's telling. Interestingly, the lectionary bypasses events in Gadara and brings us back across Galilee, presumably uneventfully this time, and here we meet a large crowd of people who are waiting for Jesus. What happens next is one of the best-known and best-loved stories in the Gospels. And one of those, I think, is one of the richest and most intriguing, if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. But it's also a story that demands quite a lot of us if we really engage with what it says and search for the truths it has to teach us about God and about ourselves. The story doesn't actually begin in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. The story begins 12 years earlier. And we know very little about what happened back then. Though there are some things that we can work out. 12 years before this story, as far as we know, Jesus was living in Nazareth in the family home and he would have been around about 18 years old. A young man with all his life ahead of him and as yet no real indication of the path his life would take. Tradition has it that he worked in Joseph's carpenter shop. We've got no proof of that, but certainly it seems likely that Jesus was living with his human family and may well by then have been the head of the household because Joseph had died. Around about this time, 12 years ago, Jairus and his wife were rejoicing in the birth of a baby daughter. They were filled with hope and dared to dream what the future might be like. Those who are parents, I guess, will relate to that. Although there would be a couple of months when Jairus' wife would be excluded from religious life until her bleeding had dried up and other ritual things were right, she would soon be back as part of the synagogue community where her husband had an important role. And I imagine that people were very pleased that Jairus and Mrs. Jairus had had a little baby because that was a sign that, you know, things were good and that they must be right with God. All sorts of stuff we could explore around that, but we're not going to. But it was a time of great hope and excitement in the Jairus household. And then there was a woman, whose name we don't know, presumably of childbearing age, who discovered that this month her blood flow did not dry up. In fact, it never dried up. No matter what she did or how much money she paid out to doctors, it carried on happening. 
This made her ritually unclean. She wasn't allowed to be part of religious worship. In fact, she was very much on the edge of society because if somebody touched her or embraced her, they too would become ritually unclean. Hers was a lonely life. And the years passed by with her living on the fringe of society. And I expect that she became anemic. I expect she had infections and her general health declined. For Jairus and his wife, I think those 12 years flew by. One minute, a tiny baby. The next, a gorgeous toddler. A girl, but not unlike Max, who's having a great time. It's great to have toddlers amongst us. Then, a curious child like Freya or Sarah. And then, on the verge of womanhood, like Bethany. Oh dear, for Jairus and his wife, this was a terrible moment because this daughter was on the verge of death. So every minute was extra precious. And any time that Jairus was away from his beloved daughter must have been a terrible wrench. His hopes and dreams were in tatters. His prayers seemed to rebound from the walls of his home and possibly people in the synagogue were mumbling. For the nameless woman, those 12 years must have seemed interminable. Just getting herself out of bed and dressed, a great effort. The endless washing of her clothes and her bedding. The waiting and waiting to see if just finally this month it would all stop. And now, after 12 years of perhaps what seemed to be a living death, all hope was exhausted. She had no money left and no one to help her. And then there's Jesus. I wonder how it was for him. I have a suspicion that sometimes it would have seemed to him that time dragged. Will it ever be the right time to fulfill what I've come for? And other times it must have whizzed by and he thought, oh my goodness gracious, you know, this is coming and will I be ready? There would have been times when his family life was great fun with his brothers and sisters and other times when it was equally awful. As I said, it seems likely that Joseph died quite early so Jesus, as a young man, would have had to care for his mother and his siblings. And only now, of a man of around 30, which was quite old by those standards, Was it finally possible for him to become the man he was called and sent to be? And so one day, all these people arrived at the same place at the same time. Jesus, Jairus, and the nameless woman. As I've been pondering this story this week... It's felt a little bit like one of those films where the action cuts from one character to another. Center stage, we have Jesus and his 12 eager followers. And this big, bustling crowd, all waiting for another story or another miracle or or something exciting. And that's where we begin. And then the camera switches to one side 
And there is Jairus, ashen-faced, running along the dusty road, looking straight ahead. And then it pans the other way. And there is this woman, pale and weary, edging towards the crowd. And she, too, is looking straight ahead. And as the camera moves one to the other, one to the other, we wonder who's going to get there first? Who's going to win the race to reach Jesus? And we're probably torn. That old woman looks so tired and in need of help. And yet Jairus' daughter could have a long life ahead of her. Who should we choose? And then it seems that the race is won. Jairus tumbles in a heap at Jesus' feet, panting heavily as he blurts out his request. And Jesus responds and starts to walk with Jairus back along the path he's come by. So that's it then, isn't it? Decision made. Youth wins over age yet again. Religious insider wins over ritually unclean yet again. Male over female yet again. Any stereotype you like, it seems to fit. But hang on a minute. The woman is still there. She's still edging her way forward. She's still getting closer and she touches the edge of Jesus' clothes. And Jesus stops. And Jairus comes to a halt a few paces further old, along, and I have this sort of picture in my head of the whole crowd stumbling and bumbling to a standstill. Not quite sure how many people fell over, but that's the kind of picture. Has Jesus changed his mind then? Is he actually, after all, going to choose an old woman rather than a young girl? Is he once more going to transgress the social boundary and respond to the unclean person, the person beyond the religious niceness. What will Jesus do? After all, he can't be in two places at once. A choice has to be made, and somebody will have to wait. Jairus stands there, anxious and uncomprehending. Jesus has said yes, and now he says, just a minute, what's going on? And the woman trembles, fearing she's going to be rebuked, or even worse, as the voice of Jesus calls out, who touched me? Come on, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Not now, Jairus. Someone touched me, and I want to know who it was or why. Don't be daft, Jesus. This crowd's enormous. Hang on, Peter. This wasn't just somebody jostling or stumbling. This was deliberate. For Jairus and for the woman, time stands still. And I expect that they each felt that all is lost. Jesus, their final hope, hasn't met their expectations. For the woman, her anonymity is denied. 
For Jairus, the urgency is unrecognised. And Jesus? Well, he can wait for all eternity if necessary because time is a category that doesn't define or contain him. In this moment, when the story hangs in the balance, we glimpse just something of the mystery of this Jesus who is fully human, constrained by time and place, can't be in two places at once. And the divine Christ for whom things like place and time actually are irrelevant. And then things start to move again. The woman now steps forward and prostrates herself before Jesus. And she tells her story. Have you ever wondered how long that might have taken? It was time that Jairus didn't have, and I kind of imagine him pacing up and down, getting more and more impatient, just wishing that Jesus would say, just tell her to shut up or go to the priest, but just get rid of her. But Jesus hears the woman out. Jairus looks and sees one of his servants coming. And he knows even before he speaks what he's going to say. He can see it on the face. It's now all too late. She's died. If Jesus had come when Jairus asked him to, it might have been different. But not now. We cut back to Jesus, who has heard what the woman has to say and has sent her off. Wonder, did she notice what was going on behind her as she walked away through the crowd to begin her new life, to live her new hope? Did she feel for the man whose daughter has just died? Did she feel any guilt that she had caused a delay that might have made a difference? And I wonder how Jairus felt. Was he angry? Was he resentful? Or was he just resigned? Of course, the story ends well. Jesus goes with Jairus, and to everyone's amazement, the girl is restored to health. And now we, with all our 21st century knowledge of medical science, can speculate as to whether she was actually clinically dead, or whether she was in a deep coma, or whether she was, as Jesus said, just asleep. Whatever the physicality of it, we do know that as Jesus touched the girl and spoke to her, she was restored not only to life, but to health, and seemingly was hungry. I love that utterly practical human bit in Jesus. Give her some tea. She's hungry. She's come through this. Come on. It's a strange story. And it's a complicated story. But perhaps as we listen to it and try to imagine ourselves in different people's shoes, we get echoes of our own story. I wonder if there is a character in that story with whom you identify. And if so, why that is. I wonder if you ever feel that God's answer to your earnest prayers is, not now, 
Just a minute, I'm busy. I wonder if it ever feels that Jesus has lost interest in you. He's so busy with somebody else that you just have to stand and wait. And I wonder if sometimes you are bemused or confused or bewildered or angry because it seems that prayers don't get answered. Because the reality is that not every story has a happy ending like the one we've just heard. I wonder if we sometimes think that prayer is competitive, that somehow God must choose whose prayer to answer, and the one who shouts the loudest or the longest or makes the best case or includes the most Bible verses or whatever it is will win. I wonder if we confuse our time-bound urgency with God's eternal attentiveness. I don't have any answers, by the way. I'm just asking questions. This story is one we can mine endlessly for new insights and understanding about God in Jesus and about ourselves. I want to suggest in closing that in a small way, this story is also about seizing the moment. Something I think I've learned more of in the last couple of years. Both Jairus and the woman heard that Jesus was in town and they each decided separately that they were going to act. They each risked being rejected or ridiculed, but they went anyway. I have a feeling that for all of us, there are such moments. Moments when we sense that if we go to Jesus or go with Jesus, something wonderful might happen, though we might look very silly. And perhaps the last question I want to leave with you is this one. Are we going to live the moment, live the now, seize the opportunities, carpe deum, as the Latin people would say, or we just let it all pass us by? We hear again these words from Lamentations. The Lord's love is surely not exhausted, nor has his compassion failed. They are new every morning, so great is his consistency. Let us pray. And in the space of this moment, in the silence, I invite you and myself to call to mind some experiences from this past week which have stuck in our mind. It could be anything, an event which brought us a pleasant surprise, a glimpse of the sun appearing from behind rain clouds, an unexpected conversation with a stranger, a disagreement with a family member, a moment of insight from something we were reading or watching or listening to,
a moment of communion with a pet animal. A moment of bad news. A moment of good news. The preparation of a special meal. The cleaning of the house for a visitor. A moment of anger. A moment of peace. And as you, as I, think on these moments or events, let us reflect on a simple question. How did you, how did I, experience the presence of God in that moment, in that event? ever-present God. The stories of the Bible and the experience of our own lives remind us that you are present in every moment of the pattern of our days. We're only human. Often we fail to feel your presence. But forgive us when we only look for you in the things which are out of the ordinary or beyond this day and this moment. Surprise us again with your still small voice in the everyday things of life, in the trivial round, in the common task. Surprise us again with the joy of following in your footsteps this very day, here and now, in all our ordinary, everyday experiences as individuals and as community. And may this openness to you inspire afresh our daily prayers for others. For those who, by being open to your presence in everyday routine of living, are helping to bring hope to those who feel life is hopeless, justice to those who have been deprived of control over their own lives, peace to those who are troubled in body, mind or spirit. For those who are in need of hope, justice and peace. In the deepening conflict in Syria. In the tensions between Sudan and South Sudan. In the aftermath of the shootings in Aurora in the United States. In the marking of the first anniversary of the shootings in Norway. In the continuing ferment within Israel-Palestine.
for those seeking excitement, fun and fulfilment in a summer full of festivals of drama, music, dance, comedy, art and sport. For those who perform and will experience the exhilaration of taking part. And for those who attend to take part in an experience, to be enthralled, to be challenged. And for those who have yet to throw in their lot with you, who enjoy talking about you, but would not risk talking to you, who should be close by your side, but the wrong word at the wrong time from one of your followers, perhaps from one of us, has kept them at arm's length who are aflame with great ideas but have yet to find the bridge from conviction to commitment. For them and for us, we pray. Together may we discover anew your sustaining presence in every moment of our lives, in this moment, for great is your faithfulness. And we continue in our prayers in the giving of an offering. And for our blessing today, can we open up the hymn books inside the back cover? And at the bottom is a set of three benedictions, and will we use the middle one, and we will say us rather than you, to make it inclusive of each other. And then we'll sing an amen at the end, if that's okay with Paul, because I quite like doing that. May the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace.